Sermons from Union Chapel Baptist Church. So there was a poll done about 2000 they asked about 2000 people what they were most anxious about, what they were most worried about. And I'll just give you a couple of the top answers. Some were worried about the area that they lived in. They worried about crime levels. Some people were worried about their pet's health. Some people were worried about their clothing, how well they looked in front of people. Some were worried about if they were a good parent, if they were raising their kids right. Some were worried about their job, whether they were going to keep their job, if their job was making them enough money. Some were worried about finances, paying rent, paying mortgage. They were worried about their debt, financial credit card debt. They were worried about the future, their savings. And uh, according to the poll, the number one answer that was given most often and the thing that most people were worried about was actually they were worried about getting old. They were get, worried about getting old in general. What's going to happen when I get old? Um, and the list could go on and on. Maybe you were worried about something on that list. Maybe you have something else that you're worried about. Maybe you're worried about something you've done in the past. Maybe you're worried about what other people may think of you. You, maybe you're worried about what other people are doing. Maybe you're worried about death. What's going to happen after you die? Maybe you're worried about just anything that could go wrong. And sometimes we're even worried about worrying. We are anxious about how anxious we are. It's like, I shouldn't be this anxious. I'm anxious about it. The list could go on and on. Now, the type of anxiety Jesus is going to be talking about today is not the medical anxiety, not anxiety from uh, trauma or uh, uh, medical reasons, but he is mainly talking about spiritual anxiety. And I'll, and I'll let you know what, what he means by that. Now, medical and spiritual anxiety, we are in one body and they're connected, spiritual and the medical and the body. But today we're looking at anxiety from three main reasons. Number one, we look at anxiety from a lack of submission to God's kingship. As we'll see in verse 24, when Jesus tells us we cannot serve God and money. So anxiety rooted from a lack of worshiping God as king. Number two, we see anxiety from a lack of trust in God as our good father. And Jesus will speak of this in verse 26 as we are reminded of how God sees us, how we are valued sons and daughters of our good father. And lastly, anxiety is ultimately a, re a result of improper priorities, where we prioritize the wrong things. And Jesus contrasts anxiety with seeking God's kingdom. We should be seeking God's kingdom as our first priority, and we'll get to that in verse 33. So put simply, the outline today is anxiety in perspective of God as king, God is Father, and in perspective of kingdom priorities. So thus Jesus is calling us today to submit to God's kingship, trust in God as our Father, and prioritize God's kingdom above all else. That is the way of the Christian. That is the way to live a life of peace and rest in God no matter the situation. So first, we'll look at anxiety in perspective of, of God as king. And, and in this point, we'll, he'll deal primarily with the issue 
of money and uh, materialism. The, we get distracted and we serve other things besides God. So two weeks ago, I preached on Matthew 6, 1 through 21, and I preached on doing the right thing for the right reason. And we saw how we should give, we should pray, we should fast, not to receive praise from men, but to glorify God and that His name be praised. And in that, Jesus gave us two alternatives. We can either receive a temporary reward from man's praise or the heavenly reward from God. And we saw this in verse 19 two weeks ago, Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Again, people's praise is temporary. Don't be deceived in thinking that all that you see on earth, that, that this is not all that there is. Jesus is commanding us not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth because they don't last. Men's praise doesn't last. Money doesn't last. Houses, boats, material objects. No earthly treasure will last. It will decay on its own or someone will take it from you. And death is the final thief. Once you die, everything will be taken away from you. You cannot take it with you into eternity. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 6-7, For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. We may laugh at the man who wants to be buried with his material objects. He, he, gets, he wants to be buried with his money and his gold, thinking that if he's buried with those things, that he can take it with him when he goes. But how our laughing may be silenced when we take a look at our own life, when we take a look at our own heart. Sure, we can know mentally that we can't take things into heaven when we die. We can't take our money. We can't take our things. But we often live as if we can. We often live as this is all there is. So stop attempting the impossible. You can't bring temporary things into eternity. Jesus says to do something else instead. He has a better way. Verse 20, he says, But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, entrance into God's kingdom is a free gift through Jesus' death and resurrection. You trust in Jesus as your God, Savior, and King, and you are brought into His kingdom. And once in His kingdom, He wants us to obey His commands. And when we obey, He says He promises us eternal rewards, these heavenly treasures. These are the things we should seek after. Seeking after to obey His commands, be trusting and faithful in all that we are and, and who He is. And Jesus summarizes this ethical principle of seeking heavenly rewards in verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I remember in the summer of my 10th or 11th grade year of high school, we went to uh, a, it was actually a winter retreat, a winter youth camp. And I remember this, this moment distinctly because it really, shook me up. It really made me think about my life and my relationship to God. The, the pastor, the preacher, got us uh, to write down, he said, pull out a piece of paper, 
number one to five, and write down the most important things in your life. Number one being the most important, going down to number five. And as a good Christian growing up in church, this is the, I got this. I can pass this test. Number one, God's most important, right? And then uh, my family, number two, most important. Then my friends. And then after that, I'm like, well, I guess school's most important after that. And then my, you know, uh, sports. And then he said, all right, turn the paper over, number one to five again. And he said, now I want you to do something else. I want you to number one to five most important things in your life. Not what you say, what you put on the other side of the card, but what you spend the most time on and what you spend the most money on. And I was like, ooh, he got me. <laughs> because my list was switched up. Because I put number one, most time and money, I spent on sports. Every day after school, I was playing sports. On the weekends, I was traveling, going somewhere to play games. Um, spending money, raising money for sports. And it wasn't, when I wasn't playing sports, my number two, playing at home, playing video games. And then number three, hanging out with my friends. And then number four, uh, what did I say? My, my, well, my family didn't even make the list, honestly. I was away from home as much as I could get. And so it really shook me up. It shook my priorities up because he said, what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on, that's what you really treasure. That's what you ultimately desire. Not what you say mentally or what you say you believe, but your actions speak louder than words. Uh, it shook me up. I needed to reevaluate my priorities. I needed to, to make my mental priorities my actual priorities. And so the question is the same for us, and we need to reevaluate ourselves from time to time. Do you treasure and desire earthly things more than you desire trusting and obeying God and His eternal rewards? Do you have a sin that is uh, keep that you keep committing, a sin, a, a lack of trust in God in some area of your life, and you just don't know what to do anymore. Well, listen to this. Since our thoughts and actions flow out of our heart, our thoughts and actions flow out of our desires, what we desire, we all need a change of desire, a change of heart. We need a change of our treasure. So when Jesus offers you eternal rewards, eternal treasures for obedience, these treasures never rust nor decay. They are the perfect reward. Will you trust Him and seek and desire those things instead of the temporary rewards that you get from materialism, greed, getting all these this stuff, gluttony, lust, sexual immorality, God is calling us to live out a new and pure heart by the power of His Spirit. Now Jesus will move into the specific sin of greed and materialism by using an analogy of a good eye that brings light and an evil eye that brings darkness. So look in verse 22. Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Verse 23, But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now on first reading of this, you're like, what is going on? I don't understand this analogy. And so, but if you lived in Jesus' time, and if you're very familiar with Old Testament scriptures, this analogy would make more sense, be more clear. Um, and we'll, I'll go to two passages that will make this clear. But just overall, we... We know from the context of what Jesus is talking about, he just talked about earthly rewards, 
and heavenly rewards. And he'll move on to talking about uh, the love of money instead of the love of God. So this is sandwiched right between those things. So it has something to do with this, that same topic, the love of money, greed, materialism. And we also know that's the case from Old Testament passages. So in some, in this analogy, Jesus' contrast between the good and the bad eye was a common contrast in Jewish writings to contrast those who are generous with those who are greedy. So in, in Old Testament passages, we have an example of someone that says, with a, if you have a healthy eye or a good eye, that is a metaphor for someone who is generous. So Proverbs 22.9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye or a good eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. So if, if, you're, if you're said to back then you have a good eye, that means you look good on to people and you, you want their good and you, and you are generous with your things. You, you share your bread with the poor. And the opposite is true for those who have an evil eye. If you are an evil eye, you don't, you don't share your things with people. You hold it to yourself. You do not help the poor. We see this in Proverbs 28, 22. It says, A person with an evil eye hurries after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Now, you, many translations uh, translate these Old Testament passages, they don't translate it as evil eye or good eye. They simply say the generous person or the greedy person, because they, they wanted to avoid that misunderstanding. But here, uh, in Matthew 6.22, we see this metaphor of the good eye and the bad eye. Now, the point Jesus is making, look back in Matthew 6.23, is that being greedy will darken your whole life. So if your eye is bad, if you're greedy, that will affect your whole life. If, if then the light is, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He's saying this is a really big deal. It will affect your whole life. Light being the way of the Lord, obeying His commands, and darkness is the opposite, rebelling against His commands. And Jesus is saying that greed, the love of money, is the path towards all kinds of darkness. As Paul picks up on this very idea and sees the seriousness of sin, the sin of greed. In 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is a serious issue. It cannot be taken lightly. And Jesus goes on to speak of this and makes it clear in verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And what is he talking about? He says, You cannot serve God and money. And I've heard many stories of people who have chased the almighty dollar and have regretted it. Chasing the dollar is a form of running away from God. Don't deceive yourself any longer. You can't have two masters, Jesus says. You can't serve God and money at the same time. Listen to Joshua in the Old Testament as he spoke to the people of Israel. Joshua 24, 15. He says, Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in, those, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
You have a decision before you every day. Will you serve God or will you serve something else? Will you serve God or will you serve money? If you are serving and loving the Lord instead of loving and serving money, then you will also have no need to be anxious. In contrast, if you are anxious about your material needs, it may be evidence of an underlying symptom of greed and the love of money. For Jesus connects this idea of you loving money and serving money to anxiety in, in the next verse, which we'll look at anxiety and God's fatherly love and power. Verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? As one commentator points out, the connection between anxiety and the love of possessions, he says, earthly possessions are in a continual state of risk. Ironically, when a person seeks happiness through riches and possessions, he only guarantees that anxiety will chase away any prospect of happiness. There are Jewish texts and Greek texts in which anxiety is also associated with insomnia, the, the inability to go to sleep, to stay asleep. And I find this to be true of my own life, and I've heard many other stories about this. Not, and it's not often for me. I can go to sleep pretty easily most nights. But there are many times in, in my life where I've laid awake at night anxious, worried about the future, worried about the future of my family, Worried about what will happen with my kids, what will happen with our church. Worried about different events. Since we serve God and we don't serve money, we need not lay awake at night worried about the future. And not just the future in general, but here Jesus is saying we don't need to worry or be anxious about our very survival. We don't need to be worried about what we will eat or what we will drink. And honestly, those are things I'm not really too worried about. I'm worried about lesser things, right? So how much more should we not worry about things that don't even affect our very survival? And since God is powerful enough to give you life, that's what he's saying. He's saying, is not life more than food? He says, I've created you. I've given you life. Life is way more difficult to make than food. And he says, I've given you life. How much more is he going to take care of you? So which is more difficult, for God to bring your life into existence or to provide food and clothing for you? He already did the more difficult thing by bringing your life into existence. Now he wants us to trust him to sustain it. Now you can find tips and practical advice, books, internet blogs on how to deal with different kinds of worries. And, th and those can be helpful. Those can be practical helps like making a budget, planning your finances. That'll make That'll help your worry and anxiety about finances. But it won't ultimately help. Because you can have a budget to the T of what you're going to spend and when you're going to spend it. But at the end of the day, unless you trust in God as your good father to ultimately take care of you, you will fall back into worry and anxiety. So listen to Jesus' comforting and loving words in verse 26. 
he gives us this picture. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of course we are more valuable than the birds of the air. God is your Father. He values you as His children. How much more will He take care of you than the birds? And I don't want you to misinterpret what Jesus is saying here either. He's not saying you don't have to work for your food. He's saying don't worry or be anxious about working for your food. So as one commentator points out, even the birds have to spend a lot of energy in hunting or searching for their food. But the point is that there is food to be found. What is prohibited is worry, not work. So the Christian life is one of balance. We are trying to stay on the righteous road. And oftentimes there is a ditch on either side. On one side there is a ditch in which we have a lack of trust in God's power. We lack uh, a trust in His love for us. That ditch leads to anxiety when we lack trust in God. On the other side of the righteous road is a ditch of apathy, of irresponsibility, a lack of caring, in which we misunderstand God's command of trust in Him because we want to justify our laziness. We cannot fall into either ditch. So Jesus is trying to convince us not to worry, to trust in Him. And He asks another very insightful question in the next verse, verse 27. He says, And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In other words, what good does worrying and being anxious do? It doesn't cause you to live any longer. And in fact, anxiety actually leads to an earlier grave. As one commentator writes, Since God has determined the duration of each person's life, lack of food will not result in premature death, and abundance of food will not prolong life. A person's survival depends on divine sovereignty not human anxiety. So don't trust in the perceived power that you have. You don't have as much power as you may think. And that's actually a good thing. We are not God. We do not have His eternal power and control. Having this realization should allow you to release your anxiety. Release your hands from the thing that you're trying to control and realize that we need to be trusting in God and cling to Him. And Jesus gives one more illustration. He's trying to convince us time and time again. He says, it doesn't add to your life. And He gives us another illustration about our anxiety and how we can have faith in God. Verse 28, He says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So at the root of worry and anxiety is a lack of faith. A lack of trust in God's ability to clothe and take care of us. Just as we are more valuable than the birds of the air, we are more valuable than the lilies of the field. 
And our value can be seen in God's love for us. He saved us from the punishment of eternal hell. He sent His Son to die in our place. What more evidence do we need that He loves us? And unlike the grass of the field, which verse 30 says is thrown into the oven, we are saved from the fiery hell. We are saved and brought into eternal life. If God's love and power can accomplish that salvation, how much more can He take care of us in the here and now and the earthly worries that we have? How much more can He provide for us the things we need? And as one commentator points out, worry assumes that God is ignorant of His people's needs or that He lacks the power to meet the needs or He does not care enough about them to meet their needs. Worry is an expression of doubt in God's knowledge, strength, or compassion. We are people that are quick to forget. We forget how much God loves us. We forget all that He has done for us, how He's taken care of us and taken care of people we know and, and love. That is one reason why we must never forsake meeting together. We must come together to remind ourselves, to remind each other that God is real, that He is the one true God, and that we can continue learning about Him through His Word. We, we never need stop singing His praises. We never need stop praying for His glory and honor and praying for one another. For when we stop doing these things, and stop learning about God's power and love for us, we will fall into anxiety. And our last point, anxiety from improper priorities. Because we know God loves us and has the power to take care of us, Jesus commands us in verse 31, says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Again, God knows what you need. He is not ignorant of your circumstances. He is not ignorant of what we need. He created us. He gave us life. He knows what we need more than we, what we know what we need. When we worry and we are anxious, Jesus is saying we look more like the unbelieving Gentiles. Because we are anxious and we, they, serve, they serve the uh, non-real gods. They serve idols. They can't, their idols cannot take care of them. So when we uh, are anxious and we don't trust in God, we are looking like the unbelieving Gentiles. We are not looking like believing children of God. And Jesus concludes His teaching on anxiety with this reminder, verse 33. He makes this contrast you're not to be anxious, but verse 33, what should we be doing? We but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So again, God did not create us to seek after our own kingdom or seek to do what we think is right in our own eyes. It's not about our righteousness. It, living a life centered around I will not will lead to anxiety and worry. For we are not God, and we are not the ones with the ultimate power and control. Instead, we are to live a life centered on Him. A life that seeks, that chases, that desires, more than anything else, God's kingdom 
and His righteousness. Is God the King of your life? Or if you were to write down what you spend your money on, if you were to write down what you spend your time on, or what you worry about, would they reveal that something else is your master? Something or someone else is your king? And maybe perhaps you are your own king. You are seeking to be the master of your own ship, the master of your fate. And perhaps you are unwilling to bow the knee to the one that is higher. See the love of God today and the love of His good and perfect commands. Let go of your perceived control and hold on to the power and grace of God. And the good news of Christianity, time and time again we used to see throughout Scripture, is that all this is by God's grace. His free gift to us that we don't deserve. For God's kingdom, His righteousness, and all the necessities of life are not earned. But it says in verse 33, they are added to us. They were added to us by His grace. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God is the giver. He is the giver of grace and good gifts. Again, the truth is evident. If God is powerful and able to grant you access into His kingdom and enable you to obey with a pure heart, will you also trust Him to provide the physical necessities of life? And as God uses and empowers us to grow His kingdom, to share the good news of Jesus, He also empowers us to help provide for people's physical needs. When you recognize and place your trust in God's power to provide, this will free you from the love of money and empowers you to be generous with your finances and generous with your time. And when you are generous with your time and you forsake your old master of money, you can fulfill God's commands. And when you do so, this you can be a means by which God can provide the physical necessities of life to His children. God uses us to work his plan. God uses us to uh, add all these things. He uses us to take care of His children. He can use you and me to provide for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you are seeking God's kingdom, if you are seeking His righteousness above all else, if that is your priority, Jesus reminds us once again of the foolishness of anxiety. Verse 34, he says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus does not promise that He'll take away all our troubles. But He does promise us that He knows our needs, and that we are valued, that He loves us, and that we can trust in Him no matter what comes our way. We need to make Him our priority. Trust in Him as your Father. Trust in Him as your good King. Thanks for listening. For more information, see unionchapelbaptist.org.